from New York City, the city of ambition, aspiration, and desire, this is Populax with Fomai Sirdari. Populax is the place where we bring attention to objects of personal luxury, objects of desire, objects that have shaped our experience. Through Populax, I hope to bring to you all the fun and profound ways my guests, accomplished creatives from across ages, cultures, and professions, relate to one object of desire at a time. Welcome to Populux, Bram. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. And I'm so excited to be speaking with you today for several reasons. One, of course, the most important being that uh, you are a former Stern student and uh, we were studying luxury together in my class. And now, of course, you're coming back and you're coming to Populux in a very interesting role at Sotheby's. Tell me, what do you do at Sotheby's right now? So I am the head of streetwear and modern collectibles, which is a new category for us that sort of covers the gambit between skateboarding decks to sneakers to sports memorabilia, trading cards, and sort of new categories that in general, our younger audiences are very into. 30 years ago, 40 years ago, that would have been the coin category in an auction house, the equivalent, but tastes are changing pretty fast. And the perception of what luxury is changes as well. Wouldn't you agree? I would. Yeah. And I actually think, you know, there was, when we started this department, a lot of kind of culture shock about even within Sotheby's about kind of what's going on here, right? What well, we're seeing sneakers go for a hundred thousand dollars. You know, what does that mean? And what, why is it happening? And I actually draw the comparison to coins, comic books, and stamps really quite frequently. You know, if, if you think about stamps, right, it's like that was culturally important to a generation. You know, that's, that's how you would receive your information. That's how you'd receive letters. Um, it mattered to you. And then if you fast forward you know, to comic books, you know, you would go to the the, the deli as, as a child, pick out your favorite comic book. And when you got older and that, that generation inherited wealth or they earned their own wealth, those were the cultural assets that they prized and valued. And so though now you have all these people who grew up in the 80s have begun to have successful careers. When they think about the original Air Jordan from 1985, it's nostalgic and there are not very many of them. And there, there are many people who that touches on an emotional level. And so that I think is ultimately what, what drives the price. And so to your point, it's, it's really no different than those other categories. You too, when, when asked to select a object of desire, you chose a very particular pair of sneakers. Which one is it? So uh, we're doing our partnership right now. Obviously, we're recording this podcast with Louis Vuitton and Nike. Um, and we've released Virgil Abloh's LV and Nike collaboration. 
an absolutely unbelievable item. It comes in a, a sort of a custom and, and very limited run of 200. Brief uh, pilot case is the word, monogrammed and with the Nike logo on it. And so it's like almost like a little LV suitcase that you could use for anything. Of course, it's meant for the sneakers to, to store them in, but you really could use that for anything. And then, of course, you know, the, this gorgeous pair of Air Force Ones, which Virgil Abloh designed in kind of the classic LV patterns, you know, using kind of a, a variety of different fabrics that, that they've used or, or weathers that they've used historically. It's an absolutely gorgeous item speaks volumes to to his design genius but also you know is a very sort of culturally important item when thinking about nike's history and the history of the air force one you know people had always for for decades people have imagined what it would be like if if lv and nike collaborated on this particular sneaker as it's as it has such a, a prominent history in hip-hop and so to see it come into the world and it's being released right now through Sotheby's uh, is a really exciting moment. It is indeed. Also, uh, I was just uh, browsing the gallery on uh, Instagram, uh, the one set up by Sotheby's. And you know, it's fascinating because the sneakers are pictured in between a Monet painting and a painting by Giovanni Bellini, <laughs> a Madonna and Child by Giovanni Bellini. and. Uh, isn't that the perfect representation of what you were telling us earlier of a changing taste and a taste that has been evolving in, in perfect alignment with how our ideas about luxury are evolving? When I think about Virgil Abloh, I, I really think of him as an artist. Um, that, that's sort of when I think of him, that's, that's what actually pops into my mind first. Of course, he's a designer, but he had this really unbelievable creative process. He would deconstruct items and then reconstruct them. And he really was a genius. And so I think I think that this, this item is actually, it does fit into the realm of art because he was an artist and he was creating something. And I think in, in many ways, we've, we've sort of explored this concept a bit in our department. We did an auction in Hong Kong the last two years. We've done it twice now annually. And it explores, you know, basically artists that are behind a lot of these coveted designs in streetwear. They can be really serious artists that have been incorporated into the design or directly involved in the design. And, you know, we actually, in, in one of the auctions, we cataloged the, the, they were sneakers and we cataloged them by the artist first. So in the mm -hmm. same way that we would sell contemporary art and put the artist, you know, in the guarantee line, we did the same for these streetwear items. And so I think the definition of what art is, is in many ways fluctuating all the time. And I certainly think that, that these fit into that category. And this is the constant in a fluctuating definition of art or luxury, the constant being that we all identify luxury with that intangible quality that comes from a very creative person with talent who designs beautiful things, but also knows how to put them together and um, to the service of, of a particular generation. 
speaking of generations, I am certain that other than those 1980s babies who now have grown up and, and have enough disposable income, I'm sure that there are younger customers uh, coveting uh, items uh, of streetwear at Sotheby's and specifically items that come through your own department. How do you see that mix of generations expressing itself in the space of auctions? Have you seen younger customers being less intimidated because the items that come up for auction are more recognizable to them? So I think that in general, so our our average customer in our department is between 20 and 40. So it is a younger generation. We, We do have clients that are definitely older than that, that also, you know, either through family or through friends or just, you know, by reading have become really interested in these categories and actively collect and and look at it as a form of art and display it in their home and maybe a private museum that they've built. And, you know, I I think that it also speaks to them. I think the most interesting though, um, in terms of thinking about this category, right? And thinking about, well, what does the future of this category look like? Is that, you know, there's a whole generation of, of young men and women, right? Between the ages of let's say 12 and 18, who their first experience in in business in many cases is buying sneakers or streetwear or luxury goods and holding them, flipping them, you know, starting a small business with them, collecting. And as they do that and they grow up, and so in 20 or 30 years, I think that they're still going to be interested in these items. And so there is a generation, right, that was born in the 80s that's now interested in these items. But there's also a generation that's very, still very young. Um, And these items are still holding that importance to them. And so that's something that we also look at and think about is what is the future of the department? Well, I think the future is kind of happening right now. For sure. I agree. There is longevity in this particular category, specifically because, as you said, a lot of these items are functional items that we, we're using in our everyday life. And when they're infused with qualities that have to do with design, aesthetics, or even the added halo that comes from a particular brand, which is the case here in this particular pair, so in other than sneakers, what other items have been really a great success with the audience you have at Sotheby's in terms of streetwear. Yeah. So for example, we did a, a launch of Louis Vuitton and Supreme items as we launched our streetwear marketplace. So that was not really sneakers. It was pajamas. It was jackets. It was backpacks, you know, and they were ranging from 2000 to, you know, $10,000 I think we sold 70% of it in one day um, when we launched. And and so there's clearly a lot of interest there kind of in that category. We also have had, and this is not exactly streetwear. I think it more kind of toggles the line between that and sports memorabilia, but we have had a a lot of success in sports memorabilia as well from, you know, game worn jerseys to game worn sneakers. We've seen prices, you know, in excess of a million dollars, also in entertainment memorabilia. And so, you know, those categories are also, you know, really coveted, um, hold a lot of cultural importance in terms of, 
you know, people's lives and moments that they remember with, you know, athletes that, that, that hold a, a special value to them. And so that's a, that's a category, which has also seen, you know, a lot of growth. Everything that you described at the beginning of our conversation seems to me that is primarily an American way of life. Although you just mentioned that you had a very successful auction in Hong Kong as well. But uh, how do you see the global market shaping up in terms of that specific category? I think in terms of sports memorabilia, for example, the audience is definitely a global audience. I think that the the purpose of collecting in some of these categories is is different. So, for example, in sneakers, I think in Hong Kong, let's say, for example, um, I think that many people collect or or buy to wear. I think there are collectors, of course, that that are, you know, buying to hold or buying to invest or or buying simply because they love the items. Um, But I think in general, there is definitely a desire to wear in that region of the world. I think in America, there's there's definitely more of like a trade to it and collecting and having a lot of the items just, just even to store. And so that is sort of a difference in geographies that I've potentially noticed. I think that in terms of general interest, I mean, I would say the U.S. is right now one of the one of the biggest markets for us. But, you know, we do see a lot of participation in in the U.K. We see a lot of participation in, in France. Um, we had a very successful auction in in France last year where we broke several records. And so I actually took a step back at that moment. I was like, whoa, that that this is a really interesting market for us in Paris. Uh, and it's a naive question, so uh, but I'll ask it anyway. Are all these sneakers just changing hands without having been worn before? Yeah. So, you know, well, it depends. So we sold Michael Jordan's game-worn and signed airships uh, for $1.47 million, I believe, in October of this past year. Now, obviously, in a situation like that, it's been worn, and it's been worn by Michael Jordan, and that is where the value really comes from in that item. And it was his earliest pair of game-worn sneakers. But, like, for, let's say, collectibles, $50,000 and up, you know, when you think about things like the pigeon dunk, right, that that mm-hmm. so just as a background, you know, the, the pigeon dunk in 2005, Nike released this sneaker called the pigeon. It was a dunk low. And basically, it was the first instance that like really led to like sneaker pandemonium, you know, and people like lined up for like seven days and like terrible freezing cold weather and like the dead of winter to get like 150 pairs of sneakers. And like the police were called in because there were like riots. People were scared literally like for their lives to like get these sneakers and get home. And it was on the front page of the New York Post. I think it said sneaker frenzy, you know, sneaker riot, something like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was this kind of amazing cultural moment and people collect those pairs. I have not met a person that wears them. There are, I'm sure, people out there who wore them kind of to, to begin with when they weren't as valuable. But now at this hand, they're just like trading hands, you know, because each pair goes for thirty dollars or $50,000 a pop. Some people keep them in a box in a, in a dark room, protect them. And they're, they're not even meant to be, uh, they're definitely not meant to be worn at this stage. Just because, you know, they have so much kind of cultural importance in the history of sneakers and they're so valuable. 
Yeah. So I'm I'm trying to make a parallel with with art, uh, or rather, you know, other categories like fashion and and objects, decorative objects, um, whose provenance adds uh, to the value of the item. And and here it may happen, but it seems only when one of the previous owners is someone very important, like Michael Jordan. But other than that, it seems like um, people don't need to know that these have been owned by someone as long as they get their hands on them. Yeah, I, I think that in certain things, in sports memorabilia, sometimes people want to know about the provenance, although not always, but it is much more frequent. When you talk about like sneakers, for example, when you talk about the pigeon dunk or the Nike mag, right, that was based on Back to the Future, they don't typically care so much about the provenance, but they care that it's that it's right, you know, and it's been looked at properly and, of course, authenticated. Authenticated. My next question was about the brands. Uh, and so, okay, I'm Nike. I'm releasing a, a new pair of sneakers. I benefit from that first release, the first launch in the primary market. Uh, what happens next? Is there any connection to the brand after that initial exchange? Well, <clears throat> I think financially, you know, not really. I think that Nike has always been really kind of incredibly generous in the sense of, you know, they, they have a, a product that's that's very much desired and they always really release it at a, at a price point, which is meant to be accessible for people that love sneakers. And, you know, that is something honestly great that the company has done. And I think in many ways it it just continues to create a generation of people that are that are interested in, in Nike products. You know, they, they there's obviously a huge secondary market um, which is driven by these releases. I think in part that's what makes the secondary market so popular is that a lot of people can participate in it. In the fashion space, we know that companies today are buying their own vintage items from the market, trying to circumvent that loophole that has left them outside of the profits of the secondary market. And I'm just wondering whether this is feasible to happen in a space like the sneakers market where the prices are really exorbitant. And so it would be very costly to someone like Nike to come in and buy out all the secondhand sneakers. So I'm just wondering in terms of business models, because it seems that this new generation of consumers at, is pushing for more sustainability and has made the pre-owned item a very normal item for all of us in our everyday life is actually pushing some companies to rethink their business model. So I'm just observing the space with great interest because I think that 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 is going to define how the next 10 to 15 years are going to play out in the market. Yeah. I mean, I think that Nike has made sustainability a huge mission and you can see that reflected in a lot of its products that are now using recycled materials. I don't think that they're thinking so much about sort of the secondary market and, and buying back items. I think they sort of, you know, release an item and, and let the market kind of do what it does. But in terms of sustainability, I think they're sort of approaching it from a different angle, which is, hey, we're going to make really coveted items, sneakers, et cetera, just using these materials. And you see that 
in a lot of the products they're now releasing. Yeah, and of course, they have the power to do that because they have amazing uh, in-house talent in terms of designers. And I think every single release is, is unique and, uh, and creates the same, the same type of buzz. So it's it's a it's a great category to be in. What about you personally? You're you're surrounded with so many interesting objects. Have you been tempted to get into the business of collecting? <laughs> so uh, yes, um, I very often get priced out of my own objects. I would say. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I, I certainly have start. I've always loved sneakers um, to start with. I. You know, had my first business in in college, I was customizing sneakers. That's how I really got into it. And so I would buy all white Air Force Ones, same model that we're selling here. I would wipe them down with acetone and I would use leather paints to, to customize them in the colors that I wanted. And then, you know, I, I graduated from school. I, I took a job in consulting. I then went on to do brand partnerships. And of course, you know, it was at Stern uh, in your class. But then after, when I, when I joined Sotheby's, I, I joined in, in this role as director of e-commerce development. And what I was really focused on was finding new ways for people to engage with us online and to speak to a younger generation. And of course, you know, what does that better really than sneakers? And so what's been cool is I had a, I had a fairly large sneaker collection when I was in college. Um, I, of course, wore them all. And now I, I, I still do. I, I have, you know, some number of pairs. They're all in boxes in my closet. My wife is like, you know, you're running out of space. <laughs> um, they're, you know, I, I wear them all. So I wear all my sneakers, even if I end up spending, you know, a little too much money on them. And I'm not somebody that is speculating. So I'm not buying to, to resell. But I am somebody that that loves sneakers and, and loves them for what they are and as design objects and, and loves wearing them. What a beautiful story, Bram. And it's one aspect of, of your creative side that I didn't know about. I'm very impressed, actually, to know that you were doing that in college. Well, actually, and, yeah. just to expand on that a little bit, when I applied to NYU, I actually applied with a custom pair of Air Force Ones. So I put my life's resume on a pair of sneakers. And uh, I did it in the colors of, of Mondrian because he was my, one of my favorite artists. And uh, I submitted that. And my whole interview when I, when I went to NYU for, for my interview was about sneakers. They asked me about sneakers and they asked me about the, the market for them and why I was passionate about them. The person that was interviewing me, I, f- I forget her name now. I, th- I think it might have been Erica, was kind of also a, a sneakerhead and my whole my whole admissions process was actually about this. How fascinating! And and you you authentically put your uh, life story on a pair of sneakers, and uh, and there was an audience for that. And and this is what made you successful in that interview, and and of course uh, in all your endeavors. I mean, I'm so happy to see you in in your element, really, and a very exciting space in auctions with a lot of interest uh, and and young people, which makes it even more fascinating because I think you can tell stories through different digital formats and truly explain the objects that come up uh, at auction and 
and have this dialogue with your customers. So I'm so grateful that you took the time today to visit us at Populux. And uh, I'm very curious to know uh, the price that this pair of sneakers is going to fetch. Well, I think the, the hot, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. The, uh, and I think the price right now is, is at, I think at its highest point, including the buyer's premium is, is already at $88,200 for one of the pairs. Mm-hmm. So it'll be really exciting to see sort of where they end up. Fantastic. Well, good luck with the auction and many thanks again for stopping by today. Thank you. Thank you so much. From New York City, the city of ambition, aspiration, and desire, this is Populax with Fomai Serdari. Populax is the place where we bring attention to objects of personal luxury, objects of desire, objects that have shaped our experience. Populax is a series of stories of desire recounted around one object at a time.